I'm Chris Reback. Welcome to Quick Conversations, our podcast that explores the extraordinary world of global supply chain logistics, how it keeps business and life moving. Before we start this episode of Quick Conversations, we wanted to provide a bit of background about the content. This program was recorded in New York back in February of this year, shortly before the COVID-19 outbreak started to wreak havoc on the city, the nation, and the world. And as we know, as the pandemic spread worsened, so did its impact on businesses of all types, with the aviation industry worldwide hit particularly hard. From canceled flights to travel restrictions to self-quarantine mandates and more, the pandemic continues to take its toll on the industry. The Sterling Global Aviation team is working with clients to meet their global logistics solutions today and going forward as we evolve to a new normal. We'll be recording additional episodes of Quick Conversations to focus on what lies ahead, but in the meantime, we hope you find this discussion with Sterling's Klaus Engelbrexen informative and insightful as he shares what it takes to deliver the logistics solutions that fuel your global aviation supply chain. Before my conversation with Klaus, though, a quick ask. If you like these quick conversations, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you would, leave a five-star review. It really helps people find the podcast. That's it. Here's my conversation with Klaus Engelbrexen. Klaus, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Good afternoon. So we've all been there. We are on the airplane. We are in our seat. We're ready to push back from the gate. And then the pilot says, we can't leave. The plane needs a new part. While we all sit there depressed, I imagine that's when you get a big shot of adrenaline? That, yes, that's when Sterling comes to the rescue. Yeah. So basically in a situation like that, the airline has a um, what's called a no-go part list, if you will. And based on that determination made at the time, uh, they're not allowed to take off. And it could be something as simple as an exit sign light bulb. Um, at that point, the airlines, we work with all of them, the commercial airlines, they reach out um, to their internal control, maintenance control, their AOG desk, and, and trying to source the particular part. And if they deem that it's not in the local area, let's say within the airport, anything beyond that, they reach out to uh, Sterling because it's now deemed, again, aircraft on ground. It costs the airlines hundreds of thousands of dollars every hour to sit mm -hmm. and not be having that asset up in the air. And based on that given situation, they decide, do they put the passengers on another aircraft? Is Sterling able to get the part in uh, relatively quickly from the re you know somewhere in the local region? Uh, could be a couple hours sometimes because we do same day next flight out shipping shipping twenty four seven right so so yeah that's a gives you a brief highlight of the overall situation and all that's kind of going on behind the scenes uh, while the captain's talking to you to me <laughs> and and when the captain does make that phone call. Uh, he or she is not literally calling you, Klaus. Correct. They, every pilot in the world doesn't have your cell phone number, right? No, that's that's correct. Okay. There's a whole chain of yeah. Take take me through that there. process. How, how does that work? So he would uh, internally within the airline notify his, like I said, his control center yeah. goes back to uh, then they have text trying to determine what's going on. Is it something they can fix locally? Does it have to be replaced? 
Obviously, if it can be fixed, well, that's straightforward. They take care of it. But if it can't be and they need Sterling to ship the part for them, then it goes to their AOG desk, who uh, then would reach out airline to Sterling. Airline on ground? Yeah, yeah. So, right, airline on ground, AOG desk. Every large airline has yeah. one uh, within their overall control center. There's a lot of flight operations control. There's a lot of other... Uh, things going on, let's say, within that sure. building, keeping the airline running 24-7, right? So, But that particular group reaches out to Sterling and says, we have a part in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It needs to be shipped to Newark Airport. It needs to go on the next flight out. And that's kind of where we take over from there. And then we get into uh, providing them with a time frame of delivery. And, uh, and that allows them to determine if it works for their so talk to me about the, given situation. The, talk to me about the taking over from there. So mm-hmm. kind of quite literally, what, what happens? You get the call, the parts in Columbus, yeah. we need it, go. Yeah, so at that point, um, we, we give them a, a deadline. Mm-hmm. And if it works for them, right, in many cases... A deadline a meaning sense, this is, this is a, when we a can... A time frame of when we can we get, get it this to you. piece delivered. Yeah. Once we've been given the go to move the shipment, we reach out to our service partner who then will pick that up within 60 to 90 minutes. Mm. And that's 24-7, 365, including holidays. And um, we, in our control tower, uh, we then give instruction to the service partner what exactly to do with the shipment. So it's go pick it up here, bring it to this specific airline, uh, tender it for this specific flight. And all that information is given to our service partner who then initiates the job. And uh, from that point on, obviously, it's picked up. It's put on the airline. At the receiving end, we alert our other service partner if this is a, a uh, what we call a next flight out, mm-hmm. an, an air shipment. And the same thing, uh, well, it's different, but technically takes place at the other end where we give clear instructions. There's actually no cargo coming through the building. It's just an information um, center that um, provides all the specific details to the partners, um, whether it be the the service partners on the ground or the airlines, uh, what to do to do with the shipment, and that's what we're managing from uh, point of pickup all the way to point of delivery, and providing very clear communication uh, throughout the the process of that shipment, including uh, any exceptions. So, in the best of worlds. Running a global supply chain is a complicated thing. Languages, borders, customs, Mm -hmm. time changes, airplanes, schedules, weather, right? A regularized global supply chain could drive someone crazy. What's it like to try to run a just-in-time global supply chain? Within the airline industry, you can do a lot of planning, and even then, you don't know when the part's going to break, and when it does, where the aircraft is. So it's a big challenge. And for the airlines, yeah, ideally they would have a lot of inventory everywhere in the world. That's just not realistic, right? And that's where we come in with just-in-time delivery, where we allow them to look at their data. And at times we actually work with them on their global distribution model and and what's, what's best. But they look at their data and they stock the parts accordingly. They also work with other airlines and they, they, they pool parts, they loan parts to each other. But even then, you can do all of that planning and um, put a lot of thought into it as a supply chain manager. It's extremely challenging within an airline because you just don't know. And at that given point in time, 
when that aircraft is uh, deemed AOG, um, it's costing them a lot of money uh, per minute is really what it comes down to. So and is now, that how it gets measured, it, per minute, cost well, per minute? I would say by the hour, but you could really break it down if you want to, right? So that helps them make their decisions to use like our service versus an overnight, like an integrator, for example. Dig- digitization in the aerospace industry, what does that transformation look like? Well, the parts are becoming more and more intelligent, um, meaning there are streams of information flowing actually from the aircraft. So uh, just this is just one example. So going back to what we were discussing, that is making the supply chain manager's life a little easier. There are examples today where you have a long-haul flight. Uh, it could be a 12-hour flight from, from London to Singapore, and halfway in there's an issue with the part. Now, that just because there's an issue with a given part doesn't mean the aircraft has to uh, land at that given moment. They fully understand the nature of the situation, and, and it could just very well be once it lands that they can deal with it then. And that information has already started now flowing to the, uh, again, back to the AOG desk and to the maintenance control um, understanding what's going on with the aircraft, and they could actually start sourcing the part with us, mm. uh, well, sourcing it with an, a vendor where they can find it, if it's an international base, let's say. And then because Sterling is global, uh, we can provide the service anywhere in the world, and they can start working with us to start moving the part to where the aircraft is uh, is going to be eventually landing. Now, that's just one example, right? But um, as it relates to the, to the airlines and the parts. What what are other ways? Because the the, the digitization and the managing of technology. I, I can imagine that once upon a time, uh, you know, your business was much more about the physicality. It's probably still about the physicality. Mm-hmm. You still got to sure. get the part from point A to point B. Right. But at the same time, you're getting data and inputs yes. all over. Is is What is that transformation looking like? And what does that transformation mean for your clients? Yeah, so as it relates to us specifically and communicating with our customers mm-hmm. and allowing them to continue to plan, um, what what it's really allowing them to do is every, everything for our customers on the airline side relates to a maintenance event. And there are a lot of components tied into that given event, okay? It could be flight crew. It could be mechanics. Uh, you can, and you can go down the list, and our customers are telling us today whether you're going to be half an hour early or in half an hour late. It's extremely important if you can narrow that mm-hmm. down on the last mile delivery, if you will, of what's happening with that shipment. So what we're doing is we're taking the system from QuickTrack, uh, from our ERP system, and that's operating in real time 24-7. And through multiple links with our service partners, with the airlines, uh, the information is flowing constantly. Uh, through digitization and through our network today, we're able to have this information flowing constantly from the point of pickup through a mobile phone that's communicating into our system to the final point of delivery, uh, the POD being provided. Uh, so operating um, as a non-asset-based, uh, say, I'm going to say carrier, but um, courier, um, we we all we appear like we're, if you will, like we own all the assets, yeah. and, and yeah. we're really managing all the assets like we do own them. You know, so in that I'm way, sure. it's the best of both worlds. In the end, I assume your client may know that that part is coming from a third party vendor, 
but that doesn't matter. Correct. You, you got to get it there. They hold us accountable. Yeah. At the end of the day, they really do. They, they count on us to manage our service partners. They count on us to manage the airlines. Some of them are airlines, so they've worked internally with their own uh, cargo departments and instead have come to us and said, hey, this is what we would like you to manage because you can manage it from point of pickup to point of delivery and everything that goes on with the shipment in between. What about the weather? Can, can you control that too, Klaus? Well, the, not really, but well, the extent that we can control it is we are, again, back to QuickTrack. QuickTrack is linked excuse me, into uh, weather updates for the respective airports. So when the operators in the control tower uh, are routing an actual shipment, they can see what's going on at the given airports. Mm. In the old days, and we still have it today, we would have a, the weather channel, we would have a map, and um, we can see it. It would be very visible in making a decision. Uh, however, today, we work in conjunction with the map and also the data information flowing into our system, helping us make, make smarter decisions around the weather and see what's going on. So sometimes we might take a longer route in terms of flight time just due to the nature of what's coming up makes with sense. a given weather situation. So Makes sense. Klaus, you, you've mentioned QuickTrack a couple of times, mm-hmm. and you've mentioned a couple of the inputs. T- tell me more about that. What are the inputs that go into QuickTrack? What does it help you do? So there are different kinds of input for QuickTrack. There is something called, let's say, like a flight aware, which provides real-time flight information. Uh, down to the uh, local minutes at the gate and what's going on with the aircraft. Um, the inputs also track the actual cargo on the shipment uh, of the shipment itself with the airline and, and work with that group. So the airlines are providing us with uh, pushed messages about the latest update on the given shipment. Uh, and the same goes for our service partners as well, the way we're integrated with them this day and age. Uh, uh, the, sorry, the, the individual milestones as they flow through the handling of the shipment. Um, so that you take all that information and you take the operator and the control tower processing all of this information. And like we've talked about, the combination of the algorithm versus the uh, inherent knowledge and experience of many, many years that the, a lot of the people that work for us have been with us for a long time. And they know the airline industry extremely well meaning the size of the parts, the type of parts, so they can speak, the talk to talk, if you will, with our customers, right? So a lot of factors come into play in a very stressful moment, a given situation in handling a shipment. Um, that, that's interesting. So you, you've got the algorithm, that mm-hmm. you've got all this data, all these inputs. I, I, I hear you, flight aware, weather information, air, information from the airlines, the predictive maintenance information might be coming in. I don't know if that's so, no, necessarily that's coming going into to the airlines, to the airlines themselves. for them. Correct. Not for so, us. Understood. Yep. So you have all sorts of inputs coming into QuickTrack, whether the, the flight aware that you just mentioned, the weather data, all, all these, uh, and, and you can write an algorithm to, to analyze, depending on what the data that's coming in, what the decisions are that need to be made. And yet at the same time, the human element matters. The, the person who is interpreting those outputs and making some decisions off of that. And I would assume the communicating of those outputs to the client, that's got to be an important component too. 
Correct. Like I said, uh, the people that work in our control towers, a lot yeah. of them have been there a long time, built long-standing relationships with our customers. So sometimes our customers will, it starts with, they'll call them and speak to them by first name, right? Um, we do try to get our customers to go more online mm. and we are successful. Depends on the nature of the type of customer we're dealing with, whether it's an airline, an MRO, a maintenance repair overhaul facility, or an OEM, the original equipment manufacturer. So depending on the nature of the customer, they have different uh, interests and needs and requirements of how they want to communicate with us. Um, and when you go back to the actual operators, again, that, that experience combined with the information, and a lot of that information this day and age for us now is historical information that we have built up uh, many times in particular just to that customer, knowing their routes and any given challenges we might have in supporting them that have come up over time, right? And taking all that information and, and providing the overall best optimal solution for them. And that's where I really feel the human factor uh, ultimately comes into play when that decision is made. So tell me more about the control towers. Take, take me inside a control tower and how do you think about the geography, the global geography in terms of your placement of them? You walk into the building, the control tower is a floor uh, of a lot of people uh, servicing different parts of the shipments that are being handled. Uh, it might be a certain section is the domestic desk, another desk is the international desk, and you can break it up further depending on different aspects of the service being provided uh, for the given customer. Um, but like I, said, like I said, there's no cargo flowing through. We all have uh, desktop monitors on the floor. We have uh, monitors up on visuals up on the wall, a lot of display boards providing different pieces of information, starting with whether it be the weather, the call, the phone system and the wait time and um, uh, exceptions, live exceptions on jobs that have been alerted to be having an issue. Those are obviously extremely important, right? So, and then the strategic placement of the control towers for yeah. us is more a bit historical uh, based on where they were, the company was founded. And uh, from there on, we expanded from Virginia, we expanded on to London and we had an operation over there. We made it 24-7 and strategically that's been a really good location as far as supporting uh, the rest of the world. Um, so, but overall, it's, it's a combination of experience and long-time knowledge along with, yes, they're good locations to be in, but as I said earlier, uh, the cargo doesn't move through the facility, so it's kind of irrelevant. But, um, and in addition to that, when it comes to the international logistics, it's important to have uh, a staff that's versed in international. It's not just logistics, but understand the world. They travel. They have a good sense, right? That's, that's where many times they'll eventually end up on the international desk. And uh, so whether it's near Washington or London, that, seems, that comes a little more naturally. Now, <clears throat> I'm getting the sense that it's in your job description to worry all the time. 24-7, you've, you've got to worry. When it comes to just-in-time supply chains, what do you worry about? What keeps you up? 
Well, what keeps me up at night is providing the level of service to the customers that we're offering to them, which is truly what, say, put us on the map from day one. It's 24-7, same day, next flight out, whether it's domestic or even international. Uh, the transit times that we can offer our customers, you cannot get that from your standard integrators that everybody knows about. Uh, those do, are, do you feel like that's your reputation? I mean, that's when, when people... That, yes, that's that, definitely what it is. I mean, it, it starts with that, the ability to provide that level of service. Now, when you talked about digitization earlier in terms of the information flowing yeah. to the extent that we can now manage it in real time and update our customers accordingly 24-7 and keep them running their operations because on the airline side, our customers' operations are all 24-7. So we kind of work hand-in-hand, and we're really an extension of their supply chain if you want to look at it from that standpoint. So continuously being able to support our customers in that capacity is is what keeps me up at night and um, – and that's how we built the business, and that's just still what we do today. The, the business is built on the fact that you stay up all night. I understand. Well, well <laughs> yes, there has been many moments where we have all convened at yeah. 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, depending on a given situation for our customers, uh, for sure. And uh, we interact with the customer. We interact with the control tower. And uh, you know, managing our business development team on a global basis, I can tell you that I'm extremely proud that all of them – uh, work this way with their customer. Their customer knows if they need something, um, even if they're on vacation, <laughs> I hate to say it, but that's that's the truth. Our team is always available to our customers. Of course, our control towers are always open 24-7, yeah. but the team, to speak to someone and get a little more interaction or, or asking the customer what their needs are and what else can we do in a given situation, it might need to be further escalated within the company, and you can go all the way up to our CEO, well, we're all available 24-7 to support the customer's situation. What are the trends that you see? Are, are they in the predictive maintenance side and the way that the down to the individual parts themselves, tech, you know, things are getting smarter? Mm-hmm. Is it on the input side, the data that goes into QuickTrack, for example, and all the the inputs that you're able to add to an algorithm and, and kind of do the math of all the factors coming in at the same time? Is it in the communications, the way that you connect with customers? What are the trends that you find most interesting? I, I, I think, honestly, it continues to stay with the fact that we are, as I said earlier, a true extension of our customer supply chain, and they can rely on us 24-7. What we have over time done is uh, we've improved the way we communicate with our customer. We have different uh, methods of getting the information out there. A lot of the airline customers still prefer to speak on the phone today, but we have uh, customized email notifications. We have our online portal, which we continue to update on a regular basis. We have our quick board, which is more like a flight screen at the airport. So I'm seeing that the trends are that, uh, to some degree, some customers don't want to speak to us as much as they used to, which is good. We want, you know, as much as we want to interact and speak to our customers, we also want to be able to uh, work intelligently with their information and spend more time doing that, creating the routings, 
getting the information into our system, let's say an automated uh, web portal uh, order entry, for example, versus someone on the phone, there's less chance of error, right? Or a full API integration with a customer where the data flows right into our system. At that point, there's less human interaction for that given shipment, but it allows us also to work within the given shipment and, and put more even more time and and thought into it. Some want to speak to us all the time. Others are becoming a lot more electronic and adapting to the world of digitization. Most importantly, we are speaking to our customers, trying to understand what their needs and requirements are. What do you do to prepare, no matter what the situation? I mean, you've got natural disasters. You've got man-made disasters. How do you manage mission-critical logistics when the world is so unpredictable? Well, this is what we take a lot of pride in, quite frankly, because we feel we have built an extremely robust uh, IT system. We have an extremely talented team on a global basis, uh, and that goes throughout the whole organization. And when it comes down to it, um, as we all well know, things happen every day, Mm -hmm. and when they do, it's the infrastructure that we have put in place that allows us to deal with a given situation. And, and a lot of these situations, just like anyone else, we can't predict. And when they do happen, we take in all the information of that given situation and we look at what the options are to support our customer. And um, I, yes, there's plenty of uh, stories I could give you. Uh, that's just where yeah. I'm going. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I want the stories. So, uh, so yeah. give, give me, does an example come to mind where... Yeah, like the uh, Icelandic volcano some years back where, you know, slowly less and less aircraft were able to, uh, to fly the given routes and there was less and less supply available. So I remember. So this was a yeah. massive volcano, yeah. Iceland, shot everything up into the air. And there, is, it, is it magnetic aspects of the ash is that what it is and it throws off the well yeah that's an issue i believe for the engines on the aircraft yeah right so as that cloud spread yeah and it got worse and it shut down aviation well the transatlantic aviation to a great extent yes was uh, very limited at that point because of the size of the cloud and at that point you know less aircraft flying less passenger aircraft which is what we mainly rely on right and with that, um, you, you know, you started having a smaller, say, backlog of cargo uh, due to that. And, and then what comes into play is there are different ways we can route the cargo. Sometimes it has to be done uh, via a channel that does take a lot longer. But the fact is we're open-minded, we're creative, and we do, we, we're constantly thinking about options as far as even as far as chartering aircraft specifically for our customers uh, obviously, that costs a lot more money, but some of our customers are willing to pay it every day. What's the craziest mode of transportation you've had to employ to get something from here to there? That would be, I would say, an, an Antonov as far as uh, a large aircraft to move engines for the largest wide bodies that are out there. These are massive aircraft. These engines can only fit on certain types of aircraft, and... Uh, you know, the, these are huge projects, and uh, they're very challenging uh, situations for our customers, and that's in particular, in particular the commercial airlines because they're the ones flying 
the big wide-body aircraft, right? So, and those engines have only gotten bigger and bigger and becoming even more challenging. So not only in the air, but also in the ro- on the road in terms of, of moving them with permits and so forth. In that given situation, the plane was in flight over the United States, and uh, we, uh, working with the operator that manages or and actually owns that flight, we were able to get that flight. It was flying empty legs, so we were able to get the aircraft on the ground in the U.S. and to position it to support our customer um, and saving them, say, time and money, uh, you know, by working, say, virtually, like, with our customer 24-7, in a given situation like this, this is really what goes on behind the scenes so, all the time. So yeah. this this Antonov airplane was headed someplace. Correct. It probably overseas. So it's flying back across the U.S. empty. You get contacted that your client needs a engine, a triple seven yeah. engine. And you actually stop the Antonov airplane before it exits U.S. airspace. Correct. And say, hey, I got something to put in your cargo belly. Technically, yes, that's that's what's happened. Yep. And how did they react? What was that conversation like? Well, I mean, it's back and forth in the middle of the night with our customer. And even our customer is using their experience um, leverage with the U.S. government for the best of, of, you know, say, supporting the given situation, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's what we do 24-7 again for our customers. I, I personally wasn't involved in that level of the communication, but I know yeah. how our team works. Our charter team is very close to our customers. And, again, back to they see them as an extension of their supply chain, and they know if, if anybody can make it happen, it's us. And scenarios like this come up all the time where, you know, it all comes down to money, right? And if you're willing to make the commitment and pay uh, the operator, they want that asset flying and they'd rather have something in the belly hole than no cargo at all, right? So everything comes at a price. I, I understand that. And with apologies to you in advance, the next time I realized the night before that I had forgotten to get an anniversary gift, <laughs> you're the guy I'm calling. We've done a few of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to you, I'm becoming less and less impressed with Uber Eats and Grubhub. I used to think it was fantastic. They get me hot food from, you know, the, from a restaurant across town, but shipping a massive engine that only fits on a certain size airplane to someplace around the world, that's slightly more impressive than Uber Eats. I agree with that. Yeah. It doesn't taste as good, probably, but it's... it's, it's pretty... We've handled the worst, trust me. Yeah. And we, all, we have a solution for it all. <laughs> yeah. You've got to kind of feel that way. I imagine it must I be... I do, it, yes. It must be torture for your kids, because I would imagine <laughs> there's no excuse that you're willing to accept. <laughs> That's very true. You're right. We, we're willing to take on any logistical challenge. That's really what we pride ourselves on. The standard every day that goes through, whether it be a consolidation or a network... Um, you know, that's, that's not us. Everything we do is, uh, call it mission critical, whether it be aircraft parts, organs, high tech components. And it's because somebody, somebody is dealing with a, a very critical situation that's either a, a true human life or a, an assembly line is down or an aircraft is down. And I'm speaking through all parts of our company now, the different verticals. Understood. Um, okay. So, yes, we, we take pride in, in these kinds of challenges, quite honestly. Klaus, t- tell me about you. Was it 
always airplanes for you, or was it logistics? Were, were you the kid in the back seat of the car with the map, or <laughs> did you have the model airplanes? Well, I've always been good with maps, I should say, but uh, no, I was never overly passionate about the airplanes. And then I took, I studied finance, and I took a job out of college working out at JFK in mm. logistics and uh, would sit there at lunch with my boss and I'd get to know all the planes and it kind of evolved over there mm. uh, from there on. And uh, so I got my experience in logistics there and uh, got more and more of a passion for airplanes. I've always had a passion for traveling uh, on a global basis. So, and yeah, I ended up in this industry uh, not really thinking this is where I would be, quite honestly, but uh, now I'm using my background and uh, in managing the business unit, and uh, I've had many years of experience as an, before this role as an international product manager within the business, mm. understanding what it takes to put all these pieces together, because many of them are really intangibles, right? So it's a service that we provide, and how do we provide that service better than anyone else, and making sure I get that message out to our Customers through the sales team, and they're educated accordingly. Well, I have to say, if you knew from the very start or learned from the very start how to navigate through JFK, then I'm <laughs> that's confident. A, yeah, that's a great skill. I'm yes. confident you can get anything anywhere. <laughs> Klaus, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. Sure. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Klaus Engelbrechtson. My thanks to Klaus for joining and you for listening. To learn more about Quick's global logistics solutions or to subscribe to our podcast, go to quick.arrow slash podcasts.